This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, I am so excited about today's episode because we had Brendan Ogmanson. He is the chief economist of the BC Real Estate Association on the show. He's part of the Five Timers Club. He he pointed it out, Five Timer Club. Uh, man, are we lucky he keeps coming back. Yeah. Well, it's great because he was on in the beginning of the year. I think he was like our uh, welcome to 2023 uh, episode. Basically. Who better? No kidding. No uh, kidding. And and this is another hour of like jam-packed market analysis with with a guy that just studies the market day in, day out. And we're talking about right now, we're in the middle of summer, right? And this is an interesting time because we've had these two interest rate increases. The first half of the year was surprisingly active. Right. What is going to happen in the fall market? It is, a, it is I think his word, and I'll quote him here, it's a weird market right now. Yep. So stay tuned for this. It's so great to have him at the start of the year and midway through to have kind of a check-in. The other thing I was thinking is this is a great show to release right now because we're heading into a long weekend. Right. This is one, if you're wherever you're headed, you can just plug in, grab a notebook, and it's it's, it's good listening. Or skip the notebook even. Yeah. If you're driving or you're on the treadmill, that's don't right. want you to hurt yourself. Here's the thing. Before we get to this conversation, we've got Jaden Lee, who went out last week, the episode with Jaden. Lots of, lots of positive feedback there. Lots of uh, people have reached out. It's an emotional story. And lots of people have reached out suggesting just how emotional it was. And yeah. I mean, I, I it was a, it was a, you know, I think... Jaden had the easiest time talking about things in the podcast studio. I think it was definitely stuck, stuck with me. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. And so it's at underscore Jaden Lee and Jaden is spelled J-A-Y-D-E-N-L-E-E is his last name. If you want to follow him on Instagram. And he's charting his runs. He's charting. He just just tagged us on some, you know, 20 kilometer run he did this morning. Right. And a two hour run yesterday. Yeah. Avidly following along. So it's, this is the thing. So he's running a hundred miles from Chilliwack to, or sorry, from BC children's all the way back to Chilliwack to raise money for BC children's. 150,000 is the goal. Is the goal. We've put up a pinned post on our Instagram that explains how you can donate. So you can go and follow him or you can go to our link in our bio or to this pinned post on Instagram. We'll also do it in the show notes. Again. We also we also have it on the live wire. There's a button yes. that takes you to the secured donation page on BC Children's site. And basically the the story goes, Jaden is a 24 years old and a cancer survivor. He's at the, fu- the crux is when you get past five years living cancer free. That's when you, they're quote unquote out of the woods a little bit. This is his final appointment at BC Children's for screening and for screening. And he's running back to Chilliwack a hundred miles 
for 150 grand. We got to raise the money and he wants people to run with him too. So yeah. it's exciting. And, and so many, so many people from the industry have reached out about it as well. So we appreciate everybody who has donated. If you want to donate either your time, your energy, or your money, uh, head over to Instagram, follow at Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. Or sign up to the live wire on our site, VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Yeah. But without further ado, Matt, this is a deep dive. We go a little long here today, but man, is it worth it. Absolutely. Enjoy. Brendan Augmentson, Chief Economist at the BCREA. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Berquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Okay, so we're here with Brendan Augmentson, Chief Economist at BCREA or the British Columbia Real Estate Association. And of course, past guest, fan favorite, recurring guests, almost uh, five-timer five, club. Is this five-timer oh, club. Where's the jacket? Oh yeah. my God. <laughs> <laughs> we got to get the gold C21 jacket. That's what we got to get a patch. I'd wear it. I'd wear it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's great to have you back. I think you were, was it last on at the start of the year? Kind of the... It was January. Yeah. Okay. So it's like, what's happening in 2023? And now we have the kind of mid-year... Check-in, which is which and it's is great. An int- we were all just talking before we push record here. It's been an interesting time in the market. So can't wait to dig into it. But first, Brendan, tell our listeners that don't know you a little bit about yourself. You bet. I'm the chief economist of the BC Real Estate Association. We do sort of all things kind of advocacy for realtors. Our economics department is a powerful team of two. Uh, we do a lot <laughs> of uh, stats. Uh, the more interesting stuff that we do is we kind of do some more like research kind of based, like right now, obviously a lot of the stuff we're doing is about supply and how much supply we need for affordability and that kind of stuff. Uh, but generally like topical, pretty quantitative research. And that's what we tend to specialize in. At least that's a way of the most fun doing. Fantastic. Uh, the broadest question we could come up with, Brendan, how's the market? <laughs> yeah. As I was saying, the market's been pretty weird yeah. this year. I think if you kind of revisit what my thesis was at the start of the year, it's probably what I said in January. We were thinking, you know, the economy was going to slow down at some point this year. Maybe we'd be in a recession. Like, you know, a month before I came on the show, I was at the Forecast Council. So I'm on the Forecast Council, all the chief economists of banks and whoever go come and advise the government of BC, the, the Ministry of Finance, about where we think the outlook's going to be. And the consensus was, yeah, we're probably going to be in a recession this year. So thought was, 
We're going to slip into a recession maybe the first half of this year. Then rates will start to come down in the second half of the year. So the first half of the year would be pretty weak, and then we'd have a strong second half. The first part of that was basically true. We had a very weak start to the year. Uh, we were running in you know Vancouver like a like a twenty thousand sale pace or something. Right, and you're talking like January, like January, early, February. January was like insanely slow. I was remember. dead, and then in like March, April, May, things started to pick up to the point where in Vancouver, I think. May was maybe like a little bit above a normal May, which is very odd because there was no impetus for that. Like rates were still really high. Nothing had changed really to drive uh, sales all of a sudden back to normal. And that happened across markets. Fraser Valley was like that. Chilliwack was like that. All these really beaten down markets. All of a sudden, we're just like, oh, we're just in normal sales territory. Bank of Canada raises rates two times in the past month, uh, June, July. And then we're back down to kind of below normal in July. So it was sort of following expectations and then wasn't. And now we're kind of back to where we kind of thought we would be. And are we kind of back to where we were January, February now? No, it's not. It's not nearly as that bad, that right? bad. We're, we're as of July, probably July sales were probably about 10, 15% below like a normal July. But we were like 30% below normal to start the year. Right. So it's it's. It's it's there's still a lot of demand out there. Uh, the issue is like how do you how do you translate that demand into sales at now a close to eight percent stress test? How are we doing on supply? Um, the same story. When you look at active listings in Vancouver, we're just over ten thousand. Um, we need you know in our kind of analysis, you need to be around fifteen thousand listings, active listings in Vancouver to be like healthy. We haven't been there, I think, since 2015 or something. It's been a very long, very long right. time. And then on like new supply, we're building a lot. But it's the same kind of problem where we have a lot of units under construction. We're just not getting them to market fast enough. Right. You know, just thinking about uh, interest rates again, like, I'm, so our kind of general conversation that we have was, you know, you saw interest rates shoot up in 2022. It was like, oh my God, you know, fastest increase in yeah, ever, maybe? 30 years, uh, yeah. yeah. And then at the start of this year, there was the pause or whenever that pause happened. I can't remember exactly when. But then the thought was, okay, by the end of the year, they're probably going to drop. And it seemed like that was kind of an impetus for the market to kind of turn back on. And then, you know, we had the two quarter points, which to me seemed to have had an outsized impact, like considering, you know, we did whatever, however many points last year. And then it's like a two quarter points. And it's like, whoa, the market really feels this. Is that because in your mind, is that because we're just getting to that point where every quarter is like, how much tighter can the screw go? Or is it like, oh man, we're in, this is, a, you know, higher for longer. We're nowhere near kind of over the, yeah, I, the think, end. I think the most important thing that those two quarter point hikes did was change expectations of bond investors. So when you look at what's happened with five-year bond yields, which drives five-year fixed mortgage rates, basically. You know, bond yields had been falling for much of this year. We still have a very inverted yield curve. So if you, when our yield curves predict recessions, it's been inverted for a really long time. Right. But what it, what that, I those, guess at some point it at will. some point. Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> Going back to our kind of thesis Even in the start of the year. Yield curve is right twice. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Like we thought, like we, we kind of like people, you know, I'm a kind of a monetary policy truther. Like I think that monetary policy really works. Yeah. So this is really tough for me to watch. It's like, I don't know, we've done a lot of tightening and growth is still like 
it's not great, but it's not, we're not in a recession yet. Yeah, I thought yeah. this amount of tightening in our models tends to create recessions. Uh, but the, those two, those two quarter point hikes really changed expectations of investors. So that like, oh, the bank of Canada is not cutting in the next year. And so you saw a huge run up in five-year bond yields. The five-year bond yield as of at least this morning or yesterday morning was above 4% for the first time since like 2006 or 2007. And that, you know, it had been falling, you know, prior to those those rate hikes, really prior to, I think, the April CPI data that came in kind of hot, and that really changed expectations. So you had markets that thought, well, by the end of this year, the Bank of Canada is going to be cutting, or at least by 2024. And then you have the Bank of Canada not only raising rates, but I think really crucially that not a lot of people talk about, they also pushed their forecast for uh, when we're going to get back to target, 2% inflation target. They pushed that back from like 2024 to mid to the end of 2025. And to me, I find it hard to believe the Bank of Canada is going to kind of declare mission accomplished on inflation and start lowering rates until we're at or below target at its first sustained period. So if that used to be 2024, now it's 2025, you see what's happened on like probabilities for, for the Bank of Canada in financial markets. Now, whatever it was, it used to be like a 90% chance of cuts by the end of 2024. Now that's been pushed out to 2025 and like probably on hold all, all of 2024. So do they, in your mind, are you expecting another rate increase in September? Markets right now are at a very unhelpful 51% chance. <laughs> um, I think if you look at, at inflation, the most recent inflation data, 2.8% headline, 2% if you strip out uh, mortgage costs, which of course are a function of the Bank of Canada's own actions. Core is kind of stuck between three and four, which is why I think they're they're still maybe maybe uh, might raise rates because we really need that kind of the underli- underlying trend in inflation to come back down or at least show signs that it's coming down. Growth in June looks like it's the preliminary data says it's going to be negative. Uh, Q2, Q2 uh, economic growth is 1% uh, if that June, for- June preliminary estimate's right. So seems like inflation's like back around in the range we want it to be. Seems like the economy is slowing. Where things aren't really weakening much is the labor market. So we have to, if we see some, I guess next week, or is it? No, I guess it's Friday. Uh, jobs report. If we see some weak jobs numbers, that'll be that'll probably uh, push rate hikes off the table. If we get like a crazy jobs number on Friday, like hundred thousand jobs created in Canada, then maybe we might be back on for for a rate increase. I think they shouldn't. I think they've done enough. I think especially those last two rate hikes maybe went too far. And, and I, I don't see a need for more, um, but that doesn't mean they're not going to do it. Well, why do you think they went too far? Can you unpack that for people? I just think like, you know, at 5.25%, and if you look at their forecast, that means, you know, a, a eventually a two and a quarter real rates. You strip out inflation. It's the highest it's been since like right before the financial crisis. Not saying that we're going to be in a financial crisis, but like that's the, in real terms, rates are, are pretty tight. And it just takes a while for them to work through the economy. And I think what we're seeing right now is some combination of it's, it's this or I, everyone is wrong about monetary policy. So these are like the two, like that monetary policy doesn't really work. It doesn't work with long legs. It doesn't have much of an impact on the economy. So that's one, maybe you could believe that. The other one is the pandemic broke a lot of things. We had a lot of inflation driven by supply side things, you know, the logistics and, you know, the trouble at the ports and just supply chain issues labor markets, whatever, you know, and then you have this massive shift in spending and then the forced savings that the pandemic, you know, essentially was for a lot of households. Like obviously, you know, not all households were able to save money during the pandemic, but those that are most likely to do a lot of kind of discretionary spending couldn't do it. 
And there's this huge buildup of savings. And that's still keeping a lot of the consumption growth afloat. Like right now, we should be seeing with the amount of monetary tightening we're, we're seeing, we should see things like motor vehicle sales falling, right. home furnishings, spending at restaurants, like or like really interest rate sense of stuff like appliances and furnishings and home renovations and, and motor vehicle sales. All that stuff should be falling. Consumer spending should be falling at this point. And it's not. And I think that's because a lot of that savings is just acting as a buffer. People are still going on vacations. They're not, they're not spending money because they have so much pent-up demand still. I think, you know, the Bank of Canada obviously knows this. It was in their most recent monetary policy report. But I think we need to kind of, that needs to work itself out of the economy. And then we're going to have these very high interest rates that are going to be dragging down investment, going to be dragging down things like housing investment, which we badly need. Right. Uh, if we're going to have these high rates for a while, we're going to start to see, you know, starts are going to slow. Like all the starts we're seeing now are projects that have been in the works for years. Yeah. But the stuff that, you know, it was, you know, just being planned and maybe would have started in 2025 Maybe that stuff gets shelved for a while, and we just have a situation where because rates are so high, those projects don't happen, and then we just create more inflationary pressure, especially on the housing side, which shelters 30% of CPI. If we're not building those rental uh, uh, projects, if we're not building you know, condos, that's just more inflationary pressure. And so some of what they're doing is sort of inflationary in out years just because of the supply situation we have in housing. It's not like in, in textbooks, it's not the way it would work. But you know, if your initial conditions are, we have a massive deficit in supply on the housing, on ha- in housing, and that's like where we're starting, your interest rates are going to make that worse. And that's eventually going to cause rising rents, rising prices, and that feeds through to inflation. So it just, you have to kind of take into account where we are right now when they're, when they're you know, deciding whether to raise rates. Do you feel like there's been, I'm just thinking for, for Tiff Macklem, he seems to get, take a lot of, uh, a lot of heat on Twitter, at least. Um, you know, everybody's smarter than the guy running the Bank of Canada. Like, is there another moment that you can think of in terms of like the history of the bank where it's as tough as this moment in terms of dealing with the factors you just described? Yeah, I mean, I think the financial crisis, as far as like how to navigate sure, this, was probably sure, pretty sure, difficult. Actually, yeah, of course, different set and of much, systems. much more like uh, immediate. Yeah, um, really intense. This is yeah, this is certainly a difficult job, and but you know you have to remember the Bank of Canada is just legally mandated to keep inflation at two percent. That's their only job, right? Right, and we haven't been through this in a long time, so people forget. Like this is how monetary policy works. You raise interest rates, and it creates some pain in the economy, and that you know maybe increases uh, the unemployment rate. All these very unfortunate things that you know we think you need to do to bring inflation back down. No one's really seen this for 20 years, so we're all surprised. Like, I can't believe that there's negative con- you know, consequences yeah. to these interest sure. rates. <laughs> but like, that's this is how it works. I mean, right now, the, if you're if you're from a, a a new new Keynesian school, you can you can influence inflation a couple ways. One is to slow down the economy. So if we have too much demand, slow down demand. The other is to imp- impact expectations. So expectations are really important in most kind of the way most macroeconomists think about inflation. And those were very high. You know, you want them to be anchored. That's why we have an inflation target. It's because we want inflation to be 2%. We want everyone, you know, all households to be able to plan for the future. Like, oh, I can, I can you know, inflation's going to be 2%. When I go to negotiate my salary next year, taking a 2% increase is fine. I'll keep, you know, my cost of living will, will keep up. If you've got like households expecting 10% inflation, they're going to ask for a 10% wage, increase you know, those firms are going to think, well, I've got all these, I got to increase my, my wage bills rise by 10%. I got to raise my prices now and get ahead of that. And you get right. this, this spy, this feedback, right? right? 
And that's what you really want to short circuit. Like we don't want that to happen. So you have to influence expectations. I'm not convinced that Bank of Canada actually do that that well, especially in a small economy like Canada, where almost everyone's inflation expectations aren't the way it works in a model where like they're, you know, solving the model in their heads and, oh, this, this is where the inflation should be, where, where the output, output gap is and my whatever. Um, they're just looking at gas prices and grocery prices. And right. if gas prices are high and the, the you get a call from a surveyor saying, hey, what do you think inflation is going to be next year? Like, oh, it's terrible. It's probably like 10%. Yeah. Right? And like, and then get, no, no surprise, as soon as gas prices were coming down, that's when expectations of inflation started coming down as well. Right. So I think it's really hard to influence. We don't we can't influence gas prices. Bank of Canada has no influence over gas prices. Limited influence over food prices. And those are the things that I think drive expectations. So it's a really tough position, right? All you can do is like to influence those expectations is to be like pretty hard line about we are going to get inflation back to 2%. And if that means a bit of pain for the economy, that's, that's what it means. The headlines seem to be at least that the Bank of Canada is stomping on the housing market. What, if any, role does the, does the housing market play in, in these decisions? So if you like granularly, like if you look at CPI, 30% of it is shelter. Think about three and a half percent of CPI is mortgage costs. There's another like three, five percent, whatever, on what they call homeowner replacement costs, which is kind of like prices, but kind of funky how they do it. The other part is is rents are like I think I don't know three to six percent. I can't remember the actual weight, so it all adds up. All all of your housing costs add up to about twenty nine percent of CPI. So in that way, um, if you know you're getting a lot of pressure on from housing and it's driving inflation. That's going to drive the bank to, to raise rates. It's not like there's not like housing in what we would call their like reaction function. They don't see like, Oh, sales are really up. We got to raise rates. That's it. I don't think they were happy at all with the recovery we saw in the housing market in May and June. Cause I think, you know, what, what they'd like to see is that prices are at least flat you know, one of the, you know, we talk about mortgage costs and how like a lot of what the Bank of Canada is doing is driving inflation higher. Normally it kind of nets out. Like if their mortgage costs are going up a lot, that the home prices tend to be coming down a bit. But right now they're kind of going in the same direction. So you're getting mortgage costs rising and prices rising, which is unusual. Mm-hmm. So it's not kind of netting out. No one complained about like, you know, or no one was looking at CPI net of mortgage costs when mortgage costs were like, plummeting in right. 2020, right, right, right. Like, no, it's like, oh, well, if you take out mortgage costs, so. Um, <laughs> Good point. <laughs> <laughs> but, so yeah, it's it's certainly a function. A lot of, some central banks in, in some uh, countries don't even try and put housing into their CPI because it's also an asset. So it's, it's a really weird kind of, even the way we, we, we do it is like this uh, owner's equivalent rent thing. So like, because like, if you're a homeowner, you're not necessarily consuming housing in the same, in the same way. So it's kind of, it's kind of weird, but it, it's certainly like right now is it gets a lot of attention right. and, and it's, and it's part of obviously what the bank of Canada looks at and like, what's the state of the economy right now. And if they see the housing markets over, you know, it's starting to really heat up when it really shouldn't be given where rates are. I think that would probably give the bank of Canada a bit of pause, but it's, it's, it's a consideration, right? Just thinking and maybe final question in this kind of line, but it seems like there's a lot of chatter about how the federal government and immigration policy is kind of working at odds with the goals of the Bank of Canada. Can you kind of give us your thoughts on on that? 
Yeah, I guess the, the, the idea would be because uh, the Bank of Canada is currently trying to slow down the economy, slow down demand in, in things like housing, and then you have a, a government that is speeding up demand uh, and putting a lot of pressure, especially on the rental market, because when you know, new families come to Canada, they're not obviously buying a home right away. They're probably renting, and they're renting in big cities that have pretty serious supply problems uh, on the, in the rental market. So in that, in that sense, like if we're driving up rents, again, we're driving up a big part of the, of the CPI, and that's going to feed through to inflation. So there is a, an argument you can make that some of the, the demand side stuff we're doing on, on immigration policy is kind of inflationary. On the other hand, it also means that we have, you know, instead of having a million job vacancies, maybe we can fill some of those jobs, we get less pressure on wages. And uh, without necessarily having the unemployment rate rise, uh, and uh, and that would sort of offset. You can see both both sides. Um, I think for for the housing market, it's definitely inflationary. For the wider economy, for things like the labor market, maybe maybe it's more neutral. Hmm. Can we can we uh, talk a little bit about inventory? Because obviously, inventory it's been the the headline of of this year and part of last year at least, and um, always seems to be kind of consistently low in our region. Why is inventory so low right now? And uh, also, um, any hope for the fall market of, of any kind of spike or increase in inventory? So um, we did some research on new listings, um, which had been very low for the past year. And, uh, and Andrew Liss, uh, my, my friend at, uh, at RevGV, right. also did some, some research on this, put out a really interesting video. Ours was more looking at like, what are the factors, we kind of do a decomposition of what are the factors that are keeping new listings so low? Because- for a while, they were like 25, 30% below normal. So like, we're trying to explain that. Uh, so we built the model to do so. One of the reasons was the labor market. The unemployment rate is really low and, and has been really low. When the unemployment rate rises, a lot of the time people list their homes because they can't afford their, their payments. Uh, so that's one factor that's keeping new listings low is that the labor market's just still really solid. The other thing that hasn't been an issue for a long time is this sort of lock-in effect where if you got a mortgage in the pandemic. So you've got a five-year fixed rate under 2% or something. And now you want to maybe sell your home. If you do so, maybe you can port your mortgage. It's not always easy to do so. Maybe you can blend and extend or whatever, but you're going to have part of your mortgage now oh, at like five and a half percent, 5.8%. And so a lot of people that maybe want to sell are like, well, if I sell and I get this other mortgage, I'm going to have a much higher payment. So I'm just going to stick this out for the next couple of years. So we found that that kind of lock-in effect probably explained about 20% of why new listings were so low. And the other stuff is like low activity begets low activity. So if your new listings are low, that means inventory is not building. I want to sell my home. I'm looking and there's just nothing out there to buy. So I'm not going to list either. And then carry that over the next month. You just get this sort of, there's just low activity. It just keeps, keeps listings low. So right. That can, that, I think that part of it, the, the sort of low activity is the part that can come back because, you know, as we saw in, in May and June, new listings were kind of back to normalish levels. Sales were back to normalish levels. The part that's probably going to keep new listings still low is rates are really high. So there's still that lock-in effect and the unemployment rate is still really low. We haven't had a, a worsening in the labor market. So, you know, our, our kind of, you know, if you talk about like the fall, the way we would get a big spike in listings is unfortunately through some adverse economic event where the unemployment rates are. Say we do actually have a recession. Everyone was right. and They just got the timing slightly off. Say we have a recession, the unemployment rate rises, especially when mortgage payments are this high, then you might see new listings start to come on the market very quickly. That'd be bad. 
Um, but but I don't I don't think that's in the the cards. So what's maybe the current new listings uh, number? Oh, off roughly? the top of my head, I don't know what the current what is the current yeah. new listings in in Vancouver. What's the no? I spend so much time looking at actives yeah. and just like because we are we mostly look at at sales to active listings ratio and look at actives or a sense of the, what's totally out there rather than new. I, I guess what I'm yeah. getting at is we'd probably have to see a pretty dramatic increase. Yeah, and most of the increase we've seen in in like say active listings has been because sales were low, not because new listings were high. Right. Uh, so we would have. I think right now new listings. I know they're kind of back around normal levels. I forget what normal levels are. Right. But they're just normal, so they're just keeping pace kind of with 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 sales. We're not like building up. We're not getting back to that like fifteen thousand listings where we kind of right. would need to be for long term balance. And this is true in every every market. We had like a year of very low new listings that are just just now getting back to normal. Some places like Vancouver Island outside of Victoria, still new listings are still well below normal, but there's some, you know, that there's only a few markets that are like that. Right. I'm just thinking here. So Brendan, it sounds like for things to change dramatically in terms of listings, at least it's, there has to be a recession in your mind. Like unemployment has to spike, right? Best case scenario. I'm just thinking maybe six, 12, 18 months out. Is this, are we in purgatory? Is it, these rates probably, you know, maybe another quarter point, maybe a half point, but we're not seeing rates come down, soft landing. We're just bouncing along here in this kind of state of like, like I was, I, I had a, a drink with somebody on Friday and he was like, not in the real estate industry. And he was like, let's just get this over with. Like, how do we get this? Like, I hope we crash just to get done with this, like 18 months of waiting for you know, something that's not going to materialize here. So, yeah, to, to see a, a big spike in new listings, see prices, I mean, like really substantially decline and 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 yeah, sustainably. Like obviously, we saw like large declines once the Bank of Canada started raising rates. You know, in places like Vancouver, is only down about 15% from its peak, but then like was basically back to peak this year. Mm-hmm. Fraser Valley was down like 25% from its peak and regained like 15% of that. So we did see like, price adjustments. This didn't last very long because we don't have enough supply. If you can't get to like a a point where we have an oversupply. So in Vancouver, that would mean probably like 18,000 listings, right? So very low sales, tons of listings. Obviously, this can put a lot of pressure on prices, especially if you have a recession where you have the unemployment rate rising, a lot of very like almost like fire sale kind of pricing, right? I just don't see that happening. If we have, I think it's if you'd asked me last year, are we going to have a soft landing? Like, how do you have a soft landing when you raise rates 500 basis points? Yeah. <laughs> I remember saying, like, it's yeah. just not, I didn't, wouldn't even be in the realm of the soft fossil. landings are total unicorns. Yeah. Like, there's just, they don't really happen. It's usually, you know, the opposite. Everyone kind of predicts like a mild recession and it's much worse. This time, everyone's predicting a mild recession. It seems like maybe we have a soft landing. Soft landing doesn't mean it's good. A soft landing might mean we just don't have a recession, but growth is really slow and maybe the unemployment rate creeps up, but instead of rising two points, it goes up like half a point or something, right? So that that's kind of a soft landing. And then crucially, we would also need inflation to come back down. To So there is a not implausible scenario where by the end of 2024, inflation is like sustainably back to 2%. The unemployment rate maybe is slightly higher. Maybe it's like in the high fives. Um, uh, and then we're like, well, things are kind of okay. And it like, looks like the Bank of Kansas start cutting rates and we're looking at a pretty decent 2025. The thing I would caution is that um, even if the Bank of Canada cuts 200, 300 basis points, 
so say 200 basis points, that only means like a 80 basis point or so reduction in five-year fixed rates because the yield curve is inverted. Right. So it's one of those things where like, oh, rate, rate cuts. And it's like, yeah, now the five-year fixed rate, instead of being, you know, 5.84, it's 4.75. Yeah, right. Like, I think we're, so we're going to be in a situation where we're going to have much higher rates than basically anyone who has been buying in, this, in the market has been used to for 15 years. Right. So like, because, you know, the yield curve right now is inverted and it has to flip back to normal, which means, you know, higher, you know, higher five-year rate. So it's kind of like, I've got a really good chart for this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a very visual thing, but like this, you know, that slope has to be positive again. You kind of build up from the bottom from like the Bank of Canada rate up with just spreads. Then we get to like an equilibrium five-year fixed rate. That's like 4.85 or something. Hey, everyone. Pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. This podcast is sponsored by Common Ground Consulting. Are you developing in the Lower Mainland? Common Ground Consulting is a development management and consulting company with experience in single family, townhouses, multifamily, and commercial developments. What I love about Common Ground, Adam, is they manage the whole development process from due diligence and feasibility reports for initial purchase of land to completing rezoning, development permits, and building permits. They streamline the whole process with strong relationships with sub-consultants and municipalities and a deep understanding of all city requirements. Common Ground Consulting. Feasibility and efficiency prioritized every step of the way. Learn more at commonground-consulting.com or 604-807-6419. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. So it seems then like if I'm trying to just to, for somebody who's tuning in and just trying to kind of summarize this, it, it was almost like the optimism in the market for the first half was based on this idea that we would be seeing the rate cut much sooner. And now it's looking like this kind of, it's, it's a long runway before we're going to see any, any major changes to rates. Is that, and, and even the major changes are not, are not significant <laughs> enough that it's going to, you know, put a, put a ton of pressure on, on pricing. I, I think that's probably right. I think that we're going to, you know, rates are going to eventually come down just by definition. The Bank of Canada wants its overnight rate to be between 2 and 3%, right? So just by their own models of what's neutral for the economy, they want rates to be 200 and what are we at? Five, two, four, five now, uh, 200 basis points lower, right. right? That's going to happen once we get back to a 2% inflation. So that's, that's going to happen. It just means we're probably not as much relief on five-year fixed rates as maybe people have in their minds. Uh, and it means that rates are going to be kind of at a, at a higher more level for longer just because I assume, you know, we're not going to have another crisis-like event that causes the Bank of Canada to cut rates to zero. And, and somebody out there screaming about immigration and that's impact on on housing. So how does well, immigration and low, and low supply, right? And low that's supply, the, right? So what are wh- how are you forecasting for that or thinking about that? Um, so we we put out a report earlier this year on the impact. We kind of included the foreign buyer ban just to like 
what we would need to see on the supply side just to offset the increase in immigration. So you do all the kind of math on, you know, the number sounds really big when you say 1.5 million new people. Some of those people are in the same household. New immigrant families have slightly larger households. I think it's like between three and three and a half. Uh, so it's not quite as much housing demand. Some of those people are already here. So right. like, I think like the number I've seen, it's like 40% are actually in Canada just waiting for their application to be processed. You notice it in traffic. Yeah. Yeah. Like really? <laughs> Already. Yeah. Oh, interesting. You do. This is like, yeah. yeah but like we're but like they were here even before the the the, the policy. And then it, about fifty percent uh purchase you know, within the first five years of being here, which is sort of the, the rule of thumb. Um so they end up the increase in housing demand over normal is probably like twenty thousand households or so when we did the math. To offset that shock to housing demand, we would need to complete a record amount of housing every year from now till 2030. And that would just get us back to status quo 2023 right. affordability, which everyone loves. Everyone's raving about how great affordability is. <laughs> so all we need to do is complete a record amount of housing yeah. at a time when we have labor shortages and high interest rates and everything else just to get back to status quo. Otherwise, if you don't have a lot of supply and you have a whole bunch of demand, it's just going to drive prices up at a time when rates are also high. And that means affordability is going to be worse. How much worse can affordability get? It's a really good question. Until it breaks, right? Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Like, when we look in aggregates, like, the numbers look pretty awful. Like, so, like, in our model, I think by 2030, if we don't get to, if we don't offset uh, with supply, uh, we would have a, a mortgage payment to, to income of, like, 60% on it. So, that's on, on average. Um, and get it all the way back down to, like, 50 if we... Or fifty-three or something. If we wow. if we build enough, right? Um, but that's an aggregate in Vancouver. Like forty percent of people don't have a mortgage, so this is why like it's just not interest rate sensitive either. Like I think we're, if you look at the we try to find these numbers, but the the share of the population that is mortgage free, not only mortgage free, but has been in the market for like twenty years, so they've built up a million dollars in equity or more, and they don't have a mortgage, so like they don't care about rising mortgage yeah. rates. Who cares? Right, you're a million, million and a half in equity. I don't have a mortgage. You can, you know, and, and so there's a part of the market that is not interest rate sensitive at all, um, and uh, and and can easily afford whatever. I mean, if they get a mortgage, maybe they have a million and a half in equity, go up to two million dollar house and get a mortgage, whatever. If you're in your fifties or whatever, so like that complicates things. So there's there's a there's a certainly a portion of the population that just these sort of affordability calculations probably don't really matter as much because they've just built up so much equity over the past 20 years and they don't have a mortgage now or a very small mortgage. So it's, it's certainly, it's, if it's, you know, it's for new, for first time home buyers or for, for younger families, it's pretty, pretty frightening, right? If you have lower income, especially because you're early part of your career. And now like, not only is your mortgage, your sort of cash flow kind of mortgage payment really high, but you have to qualify at 8%. That's really, really hard. Yeah, in a market impossible or impossible, or impossible, which yeah. is 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 why you would expect to see sales come down, just because who who is qualifying? And I mean, even just to have the down payment, the hurt that hurdle in Vancouver is enormous. It makes me think about the type of because also the the size of the household is getting smaller, right? And you know, you don't know which way the like in building new product, we have to build. We have to build smaller and more affordable, I think. And then also you can imagine that households, that the idea of, of multi-generational households is going to be increasing at the same time, like in conjunction, I would, I would think. 
Yeah, yeah. But how people are going to afford real estate is just well. And thankfully, we're we're doing a lot of the right things, at least trying. When you talk about you know upzoning in Vancouver, like some of the ways they're doing it, maybe I'd, I'd quibble with. Like I don't know why we need to you know keep the same FSR for uh, for units and, and like some of the like you can redevelop your own your own single family home into like four units or something and make one right. below market or whatever. I don't know. I, I, in my mind, it's easier just to upzone and let markets figure it out right, and they'll yeah. build whatever makes sense to build. That's the way I prefer we do this rather than this like weird like quasi-feudal system we have in Vancouver where it's like, well, the lord of the manor lives in this house and then his serfs live in the carriage house and in the laneway yeah. house. It's yeah. just like, why don't we just – we want density to build density. Yeah. Um, don't so, overcomplicate it in, yeah, in a lot right. of ways like the so layers too, upon layers of – Too difficult to do, yeah. too complicated. But we are trying to do the right – things like we need but we need both size and speed so in our in the models that we put together not only do we need to build a record amount of homes in the next seven years uh we need to get them to market way faster so we need to cut the time to completion from average of like 20 months down to like 12 months right which seems nearly impossible yeah right. well. i mean yeah. it's just yeah. ridiculous to think of do you like in in Thinking about that, do you look at stuff like unit size or or like do you like are you actually thinking about the end product that's being built or just number of units? No, I mean in our in our analysis, everything's just just numbers, numbers. in a model. So it's just like this is the number of completions. We don't are the 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 we have this kind of policy model that we've built that can kind of handle different different types of policy questions, but we're not yet sophisticated enough to be like, oh, this type of apartment or this type of, we don't even have like a split for rental and ownership. It's just like how many units? How many then, units? And that flows through, yeah. You know, just thinking, and I, I feel like we kind of buttoned up the interest rate talk, but just one more thought, because I heard this on Bloomberg this morning, and I hadn't really heard this yet, and I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on it, that the next, you know, five to 10 years is, you know, the last decade was low interest rates, fairly consistent. Um, and there's going to be a volatility in the next 10 years where interest rates are going to be high and then they're going to drop and then very quickly go up again. And it's like an ongoing battle, presumably, against inflation. This was out of the U.S. Yeah. But it made me think like there's there's potentially opportunities if this is the if this is the case for people to lock in, you know, be waiting for those moments where you lock in. Are you seeing interest rate volatility? Because the conversation we've had so far seems like it's going to be pretty static for a long time, then maybe, you know, cautiously dropping. I think there's a, a time this year, I think it's probably between like February and know, April, where there was a tremendous amount of volatility in bond markets because it was still like just investors grasping at what the direction of inflation uh, was, what the direction of the economy was. You saw, you know, I think this year, the range in the five-year bond yield has been like, it's, it was as low as like two and a half percent and as high as four and we had like multiple days where the bond yields would move like 20 basis points, which is nuts. Because like usually bonds are really boring. Normally in most you know historical markets, there's going to up a couple basis points, down a couple basis points. To have these wild swings was really kind of showed how grasping markets were. Like we had no idea what the direction of, of, uh, of the Fed was going to be with the direction of inflation. So every time you saw a jobs number come out, anytime you saw a CPI come out, you had these wild, wild swings. Uh, you know, even we had that everyone forgets now some pretty large bank failures right. that drove <laughs> that drove the five year bond. That's when it, we hit like two and a half percent. And if you looked at expectations for the Bank of Canada, it was like, oh, they're going to start cutting rates imminently, and yeah. they're going to cut all the way to neutral by like the end of this year, which was never 
going to be what was going to happen, but like markets kind of, and then everyone almost for, over forgot about it in two weeks and now we're much higher and right. no one even talks about, you know, uh, bank failures. Like, they didn't even happen. Right. So there was a tremendous amount of volatility. I think going forward, it seems like we've settled on a narrative. Like markets have settled on a narrative about what's going to happen. Seems like that narrative is inflation. Maybe it's a soft landing. Rates are going to be higher for longer than we expected. Like a long time bond markets, especially in the U.S., were really fighting the Fed. Like, no, you're going to be cutting rates this year. And the Fed keeps telling them we're not cutting rates this year. And, you know, now they've sort of capitulated. Five-year rates or, or 10-year rates in the U.S., are starting to rise on this sort of, I think, narrative that, all right, we're not fighting this anymore. Central banks are going to be at these levels for much longer than we kind of expected at the start of the year. And that's why we've got sort of how much, so much pressure on, on, on those rates now. What do you think the, the, the headline for the rest of 2023 is going to be? Boy, I'm so bad at writing headlines. <laughs> I think last time you asked me this, and I gave you like a 14 word answer, yeah, yeah. which doesn't. Like no, you, you have to really we immediately shrink, you. shrink the font to like eight <laughs> to fit it on. Um, Not really clickbait. <laughs> I, I, I think I, I guess like if if you if the narrative is like soft landing, that's sort of like maybe that's that's the headline. Like, how can we manufacture a situation where? We have an economy that doesn't fall into a recession. We've got a housing market that's just, you know, we're not tanking. We're a little bit below normal, kind of where you would expect. More balanced. Yeah. It's the the hard part for the, the housing market is it's really hard to find, find balance at, if you have sales that are just like 10% below normal, but active listings that are like 30% below, like healthy, it's, then it's, you get price pressure. Yeah. Well, and not to cut you off, but the other thing that I I kind of constantly think about is like, Good inventory, yeah. Because there's just, and I mean, there's nothing tangible about that. Well, no, but if you look, but if you look, like, okay, like think about, like, just take a market, like, say, East Vancouver, and you think about houses below two point five million. So you take out all the land assemblies, you take out all the like investor grade or like literally lot value houses, yeah, and you're left with like two or three houses that anybody wants to buy, yeah, right, and and it's not. Just Vancouver, this is a much worse issue in like typical retirement markets. So if you look at Vancouver Island, if you go to Nanaimo, there's just nothing. Or outside, and like, there's, there's no, like, what when we talk to realtors there, there's just no good inventory. Or if, if there is, it gets snapped up really quickly. Right. So those markets are, you know, they're only, they only get demand. So yeah. they have so much retiree migration that those people aren't bringing a home with them that they're going to list. They're just taking up you know, those listings. So in those markets, you've had active listings fall in for a decade and they're just, maybe they're never going to get back because there's just, where's the turnover come from? People move there to stay there for, for the rest of their lives in most cases. So there's just no turnover. It reminds me, somebody was talking about Kit's point uh, the other day and basically their comment was, this person, did somebody pass away? Because that's typically when the only yeah. time when something comes up in Kit's Point. And, this, and it's like that idea of like being on the island or something, right? Right. Well, it, that's that's what you get with the zoning that Vancouver had has too. If you have only like multi-million dollar homes in the area, that's not the type of product that turns over a lot, right? So if you have a big portion of your housing stock that doesn't come up for sale every couple of years, maybe it's every 10 years, like they just don't get any turnover. There's no activity. And so active listings just keep falling and falling and falling. And the problem is it doesn't take a whole lot on the demand side then to push prices higher. Right. right. So what we were seeing this year is like we had sales that were just normal, just like an average month. 
And that was pushing prices up like 1% or 2% month over month because there's just no supply. So you get in these situations where it just doesn't take very much of an increase in sales right. to really push prices. It was ne- the headlines were more robust than the market kind of ever yeah. felt. Because it's a just, lot of yeah, ways. right. Like, you know, if you look at, say, in Vancouver, like in, in July, I think we had uh, 20, was it 2,500, just, just fewer than 2,500 sales. That's like, that's a, about an average. Like, if you think about 30,000 plus kind of for a year, that's like a basically an average or slightly below average month. But prices are, or I guess they're flat month over month, but they're, they're much higher than they were yeah. um, at the start of the year. So then the headline, going back to this headline, I'm just thinking rest of the year we have, we've, we've felt this last rate increase, last two for sure. But with, if we're 10% below historical averages in terms of sales, but we're 30% below inventory in terms of pricing, is that... Flat? Do you think we're up? Do you think? I think that means in Vancouver, it means that prices are still going to be like the average price of Vancouver is like 1.27 or something right now. I think that's kind of around, we're going to oscillate around those levels, which is not that far off from like the 1.3, whatever peak was. I think that's, that's kind of where we're going to be. We're not getting any relief on, on pricing. Mm-hmm. The little move is volatility month to month, but you know, if you this is a, we're doing some work right now on on what we could possibly see if we could really improve supply. So using Auckland as an example. So my my colleague uh, Ryan McLaughlin. So it's great research on everyone talks about Auckland because it's like the only place in the world so far that has successfully upzoned and they got a lot more permits and they even kept rent stable uh, since 2015. So it's like this that everyone's like, oh, what do they do in Auckland? So if we can match that, you know, what would it mean? And and when you look at baseline. Cases for price, hey, prices just grow at their long-term average, 4 or 5%, 6%, whatever it is. By 2030, if we just have that, because compounding at a million dollars plus, we're at like 1.6 by the end of 2030. That's just like a, just growing at like 5%. Right. Like, that's not huge growth. That's average growth for, for the market historically. And if that just continues, and of course, there'll be volatility around that trend, 1.6 average price in Vancouver by, by 2030. Like, nobody wants that. We love to bend that curve, but we need to do a lot on the supply side to fix that. And mm-hmm. especially listings. No one ever talks about listings. Like, the one thing that's cool about our model is it feeds through from new construction to listings, and we can see, like, that's where prices are determined. So when we talk about supply, it's cool that we're building, but do we have any actual things to buy in the market is the most important question. Yeah. And I, and I wonder what the new supply and building cost does to that increase, right? Because presumably, I mean, everything being built, like the, the delta now between the, the new construction and stuff you find in the resale market is huge. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I'm guessing that any, anybody who's buying right now throughout the, the lower mainland who's paying this premium, if they're coming on the market, they're trying to capture a bit of a lift mm-hmm. to hopefully cover. I'm guessing there's going to be some holdout sales and setting new benchmarks and I think, you know, we were talking the other day about Brentwood coming up on 1600 a foot probably in the, in the yeah. not-so-distant future. Like, it doesn't suggest that we're, we're anywhere near that kind of 3 to 5% <laughs> no. annual growth. No, um, and this is where you, you talk about, like, how much worse can affordability get? And it's like, well, it's clearly not getting better. Like, it's harder to see a scenario where it gets better than it is to see it getting, like, much worse. And it's already pretty bad. Right. And so, like, unless all of the laws of supply and demand are just don't apply at some point, like, if we don't have enough supply and we have, like, right now, really fast population growth and 
demographics where all that population growth is like a bunch of you know, people in their 30s, then we need a lot more homes. And unfortunately, it's just difficult. We're doing all these making the right kind of noises about, you know, we want to up zone. We're going to speed up right. permitting. Everybody started talking about the right things. But it's just still least. just talking. Yeah. And it's like, oh, we're going to have a steering committee. It's like, cool. Like, how long does that take? Yeah. <laughs> like, no committees. It's just like, let's figure this yeah, out. Yeah. yeah. Is there any region, because in, thinking about in the province in general, is there any area in the province where, you, where you're looking and you're saying, okay, this seems like a more affordable, uh, like it's going to actually follow trends where it could be a more affordable region? Like, or is everybody the, in the same? The pandemic ruined the idea of affordability in most of the province because it just demand just spread out. Right. And they accelerated maybe some retirement plans. And so like, you know, I, I was talking to realtors in Parksville the other day where like Parksville, someplace in Parksville, like a million dollars now. And yeah, Parksville's yeah. nice, but it's a lot of money for Parksville. Um, uh, so like the island got very expensive. The Okanagan got very, it's the, you know, Kelowna and Kamloops are two of the fastest growing cities in Canada. So it got very and expensive. And they're not changing. Like they didn't come down much at all and they're back no, right back. and they're right they back. Are. Exactly. And, and so the markets we look at now that where there's still some affordability is, the, you know, the north. So sort of the Northwest kind of, which it's always funny. We talk about the North being Prince George, which actually isn't very, very North, but like (laughs) that, that kind of Northern markets are still fairly affordable. You know, the average price in Prince George or in in the Northern kind of markets around like $400,000, which is affordable for, for a lot of people. They don't have a lot of diversity of products. It's mostly single family homes. And then the Kootenai is the other one where the Kootenai is very old. The demographics are just are skewed a little, you know, 65 and over. Um, but I think that's the market where, like, because the Okanagan's gotten pretty expensive, I think a lot of the retirees that were thinking about the Okanagan are going to start shifting to the Kootenai's in the next five to 10 years. One, it's gorgeous. It's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> it's beautiful. Yeah, it's unreal. And it's still pretty affordable. You can get like lakefront for under a million in a lot of places. The Kootenai is a weird, just to say the Kootenai because it's such a big area and it's yeah. so diverse, yeah. but it's also gorgeous. It has a lot of the same things that, that I think people that were looking at moving to the Okanagan might want. It's just a little further out or it's actually closer for Alberta retirees. Yeah. But I think that's the market because it's pretty affordable. And if you're priced out of Kelowna, you're priced out of Penticton, you know, maybe that's where, maybe that's where you look. But we were, this was years ago, we were in the East Coots, yeah. um, what they Closest call Closest thing to being in the Southern <laughs> States, I think. Yeah. But, <laughs> but also, we went golfing, the last day we went golfing there, and it was like a beautiful course, like a beautiful course. It is course stunningly beautiful. And it was yeah. like, how much is this round going to cost? It was like $14. <laughs> that's yeah. right. What? This yeah. is crazy. It seems so, like if you were looking for an affordable, beautiful spot, yeah, it was it was a little bit the culture was a little strange. But. Well, and I think for, that's why I think for retirees, it's probably if you're like you know thirty, you're probably not moving to Cranbrook for you know the economic vitality or anything right, else. But right. like, <laughs> or the nightlife, perhaps I don't know. Maybe it's great. I haven't spent much time there. There's but a couple you, of East yeah, Boots bars. Sure, sure. <laughs> we should talk offline. <laughs> if you're if you're retiring though, there's some just there's some gorgeous places. That's a that's actually a really good call. Similarly, I guess, you know, along where's the affordable spots, it, it sounds to me like this is almost a, you could just blank at the province, but if you were looking for the most, like, uh, I feel great sleeping at night, most resilient market in the province right now, where, where are you looking? Uh, again, it's probably like the Kootenai looks super normal. <laughs> I know I'm like, they're not, they're not being paid by like the, the Kootenai <laughs> economic development. Um, but like, if you, if you just look at like sales 
versus averages. They've just been like – it's like rates haven't even gone up. They've just been right on monthly averages like every every single month. Uh, it's been – but like all of BC is extraordinarily resilient though. I've talked about like did anyone think that Vancouver right now would be, you know, 5 or 10% from its all-time high? Yeah. Right. Like talk about a resilient – Market like no we, kidding. You know, again, as a kind of inflation or not inflation, a monetary policy truther, thought rates would have a much bigger impact. <laughs> yeah, than they've had. Like, if you're going to raise rates this much in a market like Vancouver with very high prices, very high, well, besides the people with that, you know, the forty percent that have no mortgage, but like high debt burdens, you would expect a lot more like financial vulnerability, and sure. it just hasn't been there. So, Brendan, maybe as a as a final question. Uh, just because you guys are always putting out awesome reports and we subscribe, it's always good getting the BCREA uh, data. Is there one data point or, or or piece of research that you're either doing right now or you've put out recently that, that you feel like the world should know about? Uh, I think the one we have upcoming, which is really about you know, can we, can the BC homes, is it homes for people plan? If we get, can, if that can mimic the what the results we saw in Auckland in terms of increasing supply, uh, that's probably going to be out in September. I think that's going to be really a really good report. You know, we're kind of putting the finishing touches on that now. But like, it's it's both like I'm trying to be more positive. I've been every speaking engagement I've had. I feel like I'm leaving the audience really depressed over the past uh, six months because it's just I'm so I'm trying to like spin some positive. So in this report. It seems like if we can if we can mimic those types of results and we can do it fast, we can start bending the affordability curve. That's like it's not going to make a world of difference. We don't fix affordability. You know, we don't get back down to like what the CMHC targets, which is like a forty four percent for BC uh, uh, mortgage payment to income. But we do start to see some real positive results if we can increase the housing stock. We can you know prices will be lower than they would have been otherwise. And that'll help to fix affordability as income start catching up. So I know even though as I'm saying this, like it's still kind of depressing. Yeah. But at least they we, you know, if you if we make these changes, it will have a positive effect, but we have to kind of get on it. So we're gonna probably release that in September. And and otherwise the stuff that we're watching all the time, just keep your eye on, keep your eye on inflation. If you follow me on LinkedIn every month, I'll put a table with like 10 different inflation indicators showing where we're at and and uh, and with some you know commentary. So, is there a reason you're not on? Because uh, you're not on Twitter. You're not active on Twitter. Uh, because it's a, a toxic cesspool that <laughs> yeah. I have no interest in. <laughs> I have no interest in participating in. Same reason. Uh, yeah, yeah, no one in this room is on it. <laughs> no. Maybe we'll leave it there. But we do have this segment called the Five Wire, and this is the five timer version of the Five Wire. So, can you stick around for that? You bet. The Five Wire is brought to you by Scalina Real Estate. Hey. That sounds familiar. Scalina Real Estate is a full-service real estate company serving Vancouver, offering comprehensive tried and tested buyer and seller systems. With over a decade in the top 10% of realtors in the lower mainland and a perfect five-star Google review, Scalina Real Estate can help with all your real estate needs. We also have an extensive network of the best industry professionals and trades right across the country. There's no reason to not get in touch. Head over to scalinarealestate.com to find out more. All right. So question number one is, uh, I know you're always reading, got books on the go, a book you would recommend. And sorry, did you recommend at one point that Keynes 
biography of yeah. a, it's got peace in the title. I'm trying to, is um, that the one? Uh, yeah, it does have, I can't remember what the, I just call it the Keynes biography. Uh, so uh, I can't, but yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. I it's, just, it's, somebody else just said that. Keynes is still the, the models, eh? A lot of, has anyone done a big, big paradigm shift? Anyone done anything since Keynes in the 1940s? Um, but he was a, he was a, he was a bit of a playboy as I understand. Yeah, you gotta read. Yeah, you, you gotta, gotta read, read the, the book. book. Yeah, I know it's up there. <laughs> <laughs> not, not unlike uh, Oppenheimer. Have you guys seen Oppenheimer? I, I did. Yeah, that was uh, Tomcat. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's like it didn't make a lot of sense to me, honestly. Every woman in the whole movie was just walks up and is like, you know, like, oh my god. When you see pictures of like Killian Murphy, fine, handsome, handsome, yeah. uh, handsome man, the real Robert Oppenheimer, you're like, oh yes. Okay. <laughs> Beautiful mind, I guess. I guess so. Yeah. yeah. But sorry, a book recommendation. <laughs> yeah. Book. So um, the book I enjoyed the most this summer, like I've told you this before, every summer I read a ton of books because we set up this float pool and I just float around and read books. And I, so I can't have my phone in there so I can't be distracted. Right, right. It's like a sensory deprivation tank, essentially. <laughs> so the one I enjoyed the most was uh, was Martin Short's autobiography. Was very funny. It's very sad. It's it's a it's just a great read. So oh, I, would re- wow. I would recommend, yeah, I would recommend that. It's a really really good read. Are we done with that? Only murders in the building, or is that coming? Did I you guys watch? I think it's coming back. Good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that was I enjoyed great. it. Yeah. Yeah. That, oh, that's a good one. Is that recent? This book? I think it came out. It's in the last five years. I think. All right. Question number two, Matt. In the last few years. Or maybe in the last few months, in your case, because you were on in January, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? I don't know. I haven't, especially in the last uh, few months, I haven't adopted anything. I, I guess maybe I'm losing my belief in monetary policy and and, and really drifting just towards nihilism as an ethos. <laughs> I don't know. That's the paradigm. The, <laughs> yeah. The state, just in the general state of the world, I think yeah. that's probably where I'm going to end up. Maybe I'll get a cabin in the Kootenays and just yeah. mutter to myself. Yeah. Well, one, one thing that I was actually at one point was going to ask you and it uh, just slipped away. Are you incorporating climate change into any of the stuff you're doing or no? Uh, climate change models are really complicated yeah. and even more complicated to marry up to uh, to economic models, uh, which some people do. They tend to be very long-term, obviously, because we're yeah. talking about climate change. It's, it's funny. We've maybe talked this be- about this before, but like you just don't see the impact in real estate markets. It yeah. seems like people have very short memories. So we have a bad fire season. Wild. And everyone's like, oh, I don't think what this is going to mean for the real estate market. And then it's just normal. But it actually year. speaks to almost the, the problem of climate change, right? It's like that people just, it's, yeah, it's someone else's problem. Like, yeah, it's, you forget about it immediately. And then and, and I mean, we there's just, a fire in yeah, your we just, we just had a near miss in a Soyuz that could have been right, absolutely yeah. disastrous. I don't, I don't know. It, it was it, a fire in North Van. Oh, was it really? Yeah. yeah just yeah. recently. Yeah. So. Or like Kamloops is one of the fastest yeah. growing. And you're like, well, that's, you know. You'd think it would eventually get into people in the like, consumer behavior. We're not seeing it yet, and it's very hard to do in a in any kind of a modeling way. What What have you been binge watching lately, or a favorite movie recommendation? I loved I loved Oppenheimer, obviously, because I'm a, yeah. I'm a middle aged dad, the so only, it's like right so in my I, wheelhouse. <laughs> I, love, I really like that too. The only thing is, and I guess it's that director Christopher Nolan. Christopher Nolan is he's known for long movies. Mm. It did at, there was almost, there was two movies in that movie, right? Like there was kind of the political intrigue or the, not intrigue, it's yeah. just the, the politics the politics of it. Um, and then there was, of course, like the build up to the, to the dropping the bomb. It's, it's pretty wild that a movie that's made, uh, what is like $300 million worldwide was part about physics and part about the nomination of a commerce secretary. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> totally. Like that's pretty. That's pretty, that. If it's not genius, it got people to watch a movie about essentially a, a cabinet nomination. Um, that was uh, that, that part was fascinating. But the other thing I've been we binge watched through uh, binge through was uh, the Bear season two, which was phenomenal. Oh, this just came up. Tom Story was we just mm. interviewed Tom Story. That was his recommendation. Well, he's got great I'm, taste. <laughs> honestly, I'm uh, I can't believe I I kind of slept on the Bear and I'm yeah. in season one, but it is so good. It's crazy. And season two is like a level up from season yeah. one. Season two is absolutely it seems also this, the director changes almost every every episode, oh, but it yeah. still keeps that kind of that anxiety pace. Right. right. Yeah. It's kind of like, I don't know if you ever saw the movie um, Uncut Gems. Yeah. It's just yeah. like, yeah. Oh, yeah. it's I just love so tense all the time. The whole time. Yeah. And a lot it, of screaming. A lot. And so season two has some of those types of moments. It's phenomenal. So I, I loved it. It's it's not exactly though like the last forty minutes before bed kind of view. No, I feel no. like it. Well, so there's there's an episode six of season two. Yeah, make, don't don't watch that right before bed. It's <laughs> so it's got a lot of family. If you have a lot, if you have any complex family dynamics, nope. Then uh, <laughs> then uh, maybe maybe that's not the one to watch right before bed. Oh, I love this question because uh, well, Matt, it's your your ask, but. Well, yeah, I just changed. We all it to grew up fa- in the same yeah. same kind of music. I guess favorite music or YouTube clip. Uh, what What are you watching late at night by yourself when the kids are asleep? <laughs> so one of the one of the really great parts about the bear is the soundtrack. Oh, right. yeah, season one too. Season yeah, one was great. So I found a Spotify playlist that's just like someone's put together of just the all the songs. Oh, I'm gonna do that right when we're it's off. It's so this. good. So it's like. You know, it's all a Chicago band, so I'm a huge Wilco fan. It's a bunch yeah. of Wilco. There's a bunch yeah. of early REM or like even 90s REM. There was some Counting um, Crows, there's some but ca- early there's some like Counting Crows. Deep cut Counting Crows yeah. that yeah. are really good. Yeah. Uh, there's a, a Refused song. I'd never heard of this. Uh, I'd heard of them with a Swedish hardcore band called Refused. Yeah. There's a song on that playlist that I've listened to like a hundred times. It's an awesome David Byrne uh, song from like 2001 that's incredible. It's the best. So I've been listening to that. A lot because it's it's so it's the just it's diverse awesome. and it's just it's so good yeah yeah that is uh, a great man every we got to just start having you back once a week for just for the five wire no kidding uh, last but not least something that you have purchased for under fifteen hundred dollars recently that has had a positive impact on your life boy uh, man this pool sounds great that was and that's only like it, the pool is great we didn't I guess we got that a little, it was only 250 bucks it's like yeah. super cheap and it's I don't know it's like a 12 Wait, how, is it like a kiddie pool <laughs> <laughs> no that's the shocking part it's like it's, it's 12 but it's an above ground yeah it's an above ground we just put it up in the summer it's 12 it's a 12 foot circumference and it's about three and a half four feet deep I guess three and a half feet deep something like that anyway enough to like we have like two you know floaties like they can just kind of sit on and float around and read and it's great but it's very it's super cheap. Yeah. And then you just get the chemicals and whatever else. But like, it's, it's wonderful. You answered that question for him. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, yeah, you're welcome. Well, it has. Like, that's like, it's so relaxing to like, just, you know, end of the day. That just, is unbelievably cheap for a pool. Yeah. For a pool. Yeah. And that Canadi- is a game changer. Canadian tire in your backyard. Yeah. Just a temporary, temporary pool. Yeah. It's wonderful. Well, Brennan, how can people find out more about what you're up to? And of course, uh, BCREA. Yeah, well, not on not on Twitter or any other social media. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, yeah, right. Sorry. Because that's going to be a dot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> genius, genius move. Um, uh, go to our website. If you yeah. thought it was toxic before, I feel like X is just like, oh, I feel gross even it's, thinking about it. It's even worse. If I'll obviously read stuff on, on X. Um, and like all of the comments are just like, 
if you were in a party with all of the worst people with the worst opinions, yeah. those are the only things you see in the comments. <laughs> yeah. So it's just not a cool, it's not, it's not a good hang if, yeah. you're, if you're on Twitter. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, but you can find us, uh, we have our website, bcra.bc.ca. You can find all of our stuff there. You can sign up to have all of our stuff sent to your inbox. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. It's only play, only social media where I'll, I'll post some stuff every once in a while. So. Right. Fantastic. Well, thanks again. Uh, and of course, hopefully we'll see you soon. You bet. So there you have it, folks, our discussion with Brendan Augmentson, Chief Economist at the BC Real Estate Association. I don't think that that didn't disappoint. That's for sure. I don't even think we, I think we undersold that. You know, it's funny, but every time we have Brendan, it's like a good laugh when we get to the five wire, uh, some really good takeaways. And then of course, an hour where you feel like, holy, is that a good check-in on the market? Like you feel, you you leave educated. Yeah, there's a few people we have on the show, Brendan being one of them, where you're like, hey, the best part is, is you just ask them like some of those questions. It's like whatever pops in your head, you just ask. And then he gives <laughs> this like cogent, coherent answer that's like super right. enlightening. And uh, it's, yeah, talk about, it's a privilege having him on the show. Yeah, exactly. No, it's it's great having him on. Uh, at some point, we talked about having Andrew Liss and him on together. Could you imagine? So that that would be oh chief economist of BCREA and, and uh, what and, is data analyst and economist at the uh, uh, REBGV. Yeah, Real Estate Board of Greater Vancouver. That's fantastic. I also just realized we uh, on Spotify, if you listen to us on Spotify, Spotify asks certain questions about what are you, what do you th- what do you think of this show and you can leave comments. You can't actually comment in reviews on Spotify, but it will it will trigger a response from people. So if you're listening on Spotify and and then we get to see them. I don't know if we can publish I them think or we whatever. can publish them, yeah. Anyways, I was looking through them this morning. There's a few that came came in that I'd never actually seen before. Um like great episode or I love this episode or whatever. Uh, fascinating that, uh, I, you know, I've been sleeping on this, but if you want to comment <laughs> on uh, Spotify, that's a great way. Or you can leave us a review on Apple, but all the reviews, if you're enjoying the show and you want to help us grow, share it with a friend, give us a review. Matt, we also have the soul plan over at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Right. Head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. I was going to say the other thing you can do is just get in touch. Yes. And the easiest way to do that is VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com where you can hit sell with us. That's for the sold plan. Adam, remind listeners what the sold plan is. Matt, it's a step-by-step guide to get your home sold for top dollar in the shortest amount of time. It's basically instructional and it's based on 10 years of 10 plus almost 15 years of selling real estate, selling hundreds of homes. And this is really what we use in thinking about getting ready. And really what sold plan stands for is start on launch date. That's the acronym, acronym for sold. And you basically pick your launch date and you work your way backwards uh, and it gives you instructions from two, three weeks out what you need to do. Absolutely. So that's sell with us. You can also sign up for the live wire. This is our weekly mailer with stats, deal of the month, VIP access to pre-sales, and importantly, a button to uh, support Jaden Lee on his run. And last but not least, we have, of course, private client services. Because Matt, if you were not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor-level information for free. It's available at your fingertips. It is the best way to look for real estate in Vancouver. And I, I don't know why you wouldn't have PCS right now. Because there's no right reason. now, like if, if you're shopping in certain parts of the region, there's lots of maybe more options, more inventory. 
In Vancouver right now, there's a lot of people waiting on inventory. So you want to be the person that sees it first. Absolutely. And seeing sold prices allows you to understand the market and everything we're talking about in episodes like today. Right. And they're always making it better. Now they have neighborhood analysis. There's right. a button for neighborhood. It's just like PCS is the best. Yeah. So VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. If you want to talk about that or anything else, give me a shout at any time, 778-847-2854 or Matt at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or Adam at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. And of course, we have that nonpartisan Kokomo line, info at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Well, have a great week. And uh, yeah, support Jaden and his run. And uh, man, we're back with another great episode next week. Absolutely. Take care. Faces for radio. Subscribe today.